Hello, I'm Jody Butts. Welcome to the 2020 Network presented by Interact. COVID-19 has focused attention on food systems and food security around the world. Many people are questioning the future of the global food industry. To help me get a better understanding of what's at stake, I'm joined by Sylvain Chalbois, Professor in Food Distribution and Policy at Dalhousie University in Halifax, who's going to talk to me about the impact of COVID-19 on the global food industry. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Jody. Well, let's begin by talking about markets. What what consumers are buying and how products are being delivered? What has changed? Oh my goodness! <laughs> in just in just a few weeks, a lot of things have changed. Um, so if we start with the consumer, and I always start with with the consumer. Uh, the consumer showing up at the grocery store is a very different person uh, compared to three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, it was about convenience. It was about uh, lifestyles. It was about culture. Uh, now, there's still some of that, but uh, safety is now much more important Uh Public health risks uh, are very important. Uh, access to food, food security, um, and and what are all of these things? All of these factors are much more important now than than before, which gets people to think differently about food. They'll not just go into a grocery store and think about. Um, a quick fix or lunch or dinner that day, uh, they're forced into some food planning over several days, a week, perhaps even two weeks. And, and so they can't, they don't necessarily think about um, um, finished products. They actually think about cooking and they think about ingredients. And that's why we've seen shortages of, of products like flour and yeast and eggs and, and sugar. And so those are, those are really um, staples of, of diets when you when you stay at home more. The other phenomenon, of course, is is e-commerce. Uh, e-commerce uh, was seen as a um, really a um, a far-fetched concept just a few weeks ago. Barely 1.7 percent of all food sales came from online uh, purchasing, but now. By based on some of our evaluations, it will exceed two percent easily this year, and and uh, we could actually reach five percent uh, by 2025, because uh, uh, people just don't want to be <laughs> in the grocery; they want to avoid the grocery store. On March third, based on our data, uh, basically 18 percent of Canadians. Uh, wanted to avoid the grocery store now we're up to 52 percent uh last week and i suspect that it's gone up even more and so the majority of Canadians do not want to go or trying to avoid the grocery store and that's a that's a business problem yeah absolutely so so let's take uh, these things one at a time so the consumer i saw in uh toronto Warnings out that you know this is not supposed to be a social experience anymore. Stop talking to people. Show up alone, and please only do it once a week. I guess the transition and the thinking uh, is harder for some more than others. Oh, absolutely, and, and you can't really blame consumers because they they've been hardwired to think uh, about 
about uh, store experience. In fact, grocers uh, are hardwired to think that way too. I mean, they wanted to make our visits pleasant. Um, and it was all about store design and, uh, and uh, they focused on on, on pleasure and indulgence and uh, trade shows the last few years have always been about indulgence and pleasure and, uh, and, and, and the fact that we should be celebrating, celebrating food. But because of what we've seen the last few weeks, uh, I, I do believe that people have had a profound, uh, uh, I mean, all of these images of, of hoarding and, and empty shelves have had a profound impact on the psyche of, of individuals. Um, and so grocers are, are, are they've, they've had to change their approach on how they manage demand. They, they actually not only have to manage demand, they have to discipline demand. Uh, and so you'll see directions as you walk into a store. You'll have security guards. You'll have um, specific um, sp instructions. Uh, and also, of course, there are certain ways you, you need to bathe in a, in a grocery store because, I mean, most Canadians are starting to realize that grocery stores are are in a, an inherent risk to their health. It's an open system, uh, unlike other levels of the supply chain. Everyone has access. Uh, you can walk in and out of a grocery store. And so they, they're trying to do all of these things in order to make people uh, feel safer. And I don't think they have a choice, really. And they're doing it to protect their consumers, their, their clients, and they're also... The, trying to do it to uh, to protect their their employees as well yes from indulgence to the front lines of public health um i couldn't help but notice uh galen weston's message he came out early with a with a very personal message um yep. re reassuring customers about no food shortages creating dedicated hours for seniors and assuring no price increases to take advantage of the situation. And when I personally went to the super center, I was really happy to see that there were now hand-washing uh, stations. So I think, you know, in addition to, you know, fulfilling this really uh, important need, um, it, it, you know, I think uh, Galen there really helped calm people. I think so. And the fact that he came back in the limelight <laughs> because of COVID is, is telling. I mean, it's telling uh, uh, about what we're facing right now for, for a few years. Uh, Galen Weston was actually, when he left his position as, uh, as president of Law, he kind of left it to Sarah Davis to oversee all the operations. But COVID got him back, uh, I suspect, because he felt that uh, people needed... Uh, that reassurance uh, for one, uh, one that's that's one thing. The other thing, of course, that we've seen in recent weeks is this recognition uh, of uh, of how valuable employees are in grocery stores and across the supply chain. It's been amazing. I mean, uh, in fact, I, I would say that it should have happened years ago. But to see this bump uh, in salaries by two dollars an hour, everyone. Uh, almost everyone uh, in, in distribution centers and in stores to, to get this bump. Um, they've claimed that it's temporary. So Loblaws went ahead with the, with their program, Metro, and, and, and also Sobeys with its hero uh, pay uh, program. All of them have recognized that, uh, that uh, grocery employees are 
exposed to more risks. And so, and that needed to be compensated. I'm not entirely convinced it is going to be temporary. I, I think I think it's it's going to be there to stay, and, and which will help grocers um, change their strategy. They they need to approach human capital very differently. I think uh, over time because if you are to make that shift from bricks and mortar to online or, and, and adopt this hybrid approach, uh, you really need different talent. You need a different way of thinking and, and you have to pay for that. And so I don't think it's going to change uh, or I don't think uh, wage increases are going to be temporary. And uh, and when you think about the implication of e-commerce, I mean, people think, well, Grocers need to get better at it because they and, and clearly they weren't ready. Other retailers were, but not not. I don't think grocers were. Uh, COVID came too fast for them. But I do see this evolution. Um, supply chains will become more democratic, uh, and what I mean by that is that if e-commerce becomes an option for everyone. It means that perhaps farmers, uh, processors, anyone in the supply chain would have access to the consumer in the end. Actually, in Ontario right now, and and there are two outfits here in Nova Scotia, you're seeing farmers getting together to sell products directly to consumers online because they know that they have access, they now have access to consumers and they know that consumers are looking for products. They're looking for different kinds of products. So you can see that really the menace for grocers is no longer just Amazon. It's It, it could be the entire supply chain eventually. And that's why they need to be ready for it. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, uh, so when I, when I worked at Mount Sinai, you could definitely see that people for at least a period of time, thought about the hospital differently. So mm -hmm. before it was this place of health and because of SARS, you know, for a temporary period anyways, people thought of it, you know, more as a risk uh, to health and really right. only wanted to go if they absolutely had to. But had that to. did diminish over time. <laughs> it did. But in terms of, uh, of health crises, like what we're going through right now, Changes could be permanent. Uh, look at Alibaba, uh, this uh, e-commerce giant uh, in China. It barely existed in 2003 when SARS hit. SARS allowed Alibaba to become this huge e-commerce giant. And today, Alibaba sells more products, including food, than Walmart and Amazon combined, and that's due to SARS. So I, I don't. I'm not suggesting that that something similar will happen in Canada, but I do believe that e-commerce uh, will get um, way more attention, especially in the food space, than ever before. Yeah, that's really interesting. the The other thing I was reflecting on was um, so when I was in university, I worked at a local IGA, and I had this really atrocious uniform. I wore blue polyester <laughs> pants. I wore a multicolored vertically striped shirt. Uh, she did deserve a two uh, dollar an hour pro, uh, wage hike just for the exactly. costume. <laughs> Danger pay. Um, and, and, it, and it also came with a blue polyester bow tie. 
the last time I went to the grocery store, uh, some cashiers were wearing gloves. They had alcohol hand wash um, at all of their stations. There were hand wipes everywhere. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, is my is my old plastic uh, visor? Uh, you know, will, will will it ever become a face shield uh, at some point? You know, it's just the mind reels when you think about the pace of change. Oh, absolutely, and so it is. It it it. There's a great disturbance, uh, of course, and uh, and that's why. And I and I I've spoken to a lot of consultants over the last uh, week or two, and and companies trying to figure out what what this all means. But I, I do believe that uh, that the, the grocery business is going to fundamentally change uh, over the next uh, year or two, uh, just because people's relationship with food is is going to change as well. Now I'm not suggesting that people won't go out anymore, and and I actually do. Th- see a, a speedy recovery uh especially with food service because uh, I, I mean the the number one competitor for food service is the kitchen is our home kitchen i mean uh, after three four months of cooking at home almost every day if not every day it's going to be tough for 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 the food service industry to get us out of here and in gro- in the grocery business uh, there was this push towards the grocerant um, basically having a restaurant inside the grocery store. And uh, right now, I'm, I do question the value of that model. I mean, when you think about uh, ready-to-eat products, uh, self-serving counters, all of these things are put into question. Bulk buying, uh, all of these things are put into question now as a result of, uh, of COVID. So uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see. Uh, we were looking at a blurring line between food service and, and food retailing for a while now, for almost a decade or more than a decade. But now things are being redefined uh, as we speak. And so it's going to be interesting to see how things go. Uh, I do feel for the food service industry, it's being just slaughtered right now, just slaughtered. It's just terrible what they're going through. And uh, and some of them are doing the best they can to survive and and they they provide delivery and and takeout and uh but uh, again and they're actually offering some uh uh, confinement discounts just to keep things going but after after covid uh i suspect that the dining room uh experience and the way that restaurants are managed is also going to change yes you know i was reflecting on you know restaurants too um and, you know, I, I, I'm a lawyer and I used to have a client and, uh, you know, his whole business model was that he would never renovate and build out a space um, himself to open a restaurant. He would just lease premises that some failed restaurant had already put a kitchen in previously. And he said it was really the only way to do it just because margins are so costs. low on oh. restaurants, right? Absolutely. So, so what's happening to restaurants right now? You know, um, how how do they survive and 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 how do they make a comeback? Well, I actually do see value in uh, in ghost kitchens, for example, or ghost warehousing or dark warehousing. So I think there's going to be more emphasis on logistics uh, from from now on. For for example, you could see. Um, because food delivery apps are, are becoming more popular. There's more, more people are using them. 
and so Ghost Kitchens could uh, could get a second win. There are some already in the system, and these Ghost Kitchens are there to serve uh, food delivery apps. Uh, you wouldn't have a dining room. You wouldn't have um, a counter for takeout or anything like that. Uh, it would be uh, just a kitchen. And uh, you would have cooks and even robots. I mean, in London, England, uh, you have about 60 ghost kitchens that are using, some of them are using robots to prepare sushi and spaghetti and, uh, and steak and different products you would order uh, for takeout, pizzas. Uh, and so you save on labor costs. And these ghost kitchens are typically located in, in, in areas where real estate costs are very, very low. And so you would have delivery people going to those ghost kitchens to live, to serve a, an urban market. And so I do see value in that right now, much more so than before COVID. Uh, dark warehousing, for example, micro-fulfillment centers where you would have uh, uh, grocery stores uh, serving a, a community, but also to support the uh, their e-commerce strategy you would actually have micro fulfillment centers uh, where things would get picked up so they could be delivered to people's homes and right now there's absolutely zero setup in the united states you're seeing that already uh, obviously they have that population to support that but i do see uh, see canada moving that in that direction uh, post covid wow that's fascinating uh, you know, I, I I wasn't aware of that that activity at all. Are you are you hearing anything from restaurateurs um, about um, the federal and provincial policy responses? Um, are they helpful, or or has COVID nineteen just been too devastating to the enterprise? Uh, the, right now, they're they're in a crisis, really. I mean, uh, just this morning, I saw a report from Restaurants Canada suggesting that uh, over eight hundred thousand jobs have been lost in that sector already uh, due to COVID, and so that's we're close to a million people. It's a it's a huge sector uh being disseminated right now so right now they're just trying to fi figure out what's going to be left <laughs> and then after that we'll see what happens but i i the one th fundamental thing that is going to change i believe um after covid is is this service retail split we all have i mean right now uh pre-covid a typical canadian would spend uh, pro approximately 37% of of his or her food budget on on uh, on food service. So food consume and process outside the home. I suspect that that percentage will actually go down for two reasons. One, because we're getting more acquainted to to our kitchen. We're redeveloping our our cooking skills. Everyone is doing it. Uh, we're forced to do it for several weeks, several months, and, and that's, that is going to create new habits, and new habits will prevail. Uh, but also, I mean, more than 2 million Canadians have lost their jobs already, and uh, we are expecting more. Uh, in the United States, it's going to be the same thing. And, uh, and in order to go out, you need a job, you need money. And so that's going to also... Uh, recalibrate between service and retail uh, over at least over the next few years 
And so the restaurant industry will have to um, uh, be redesigned as a result of this massive economic shift. Uh, but the recovery will be strong, uh, and so I suspect that uh, things will get back to um, the 37-63 split eventually. But it, it it'll take it, it will take a while probably. You mentioned food delivery apps. Uh, I know in May you had released some research suggesting that food delivery apps were approaching their peak in some markets in Canada. Has COVID nineteen upended all these assumptions? Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's like any economist. Uh, we actually make forecasts, and when they don't happen, you actually immediately have an explanation as to why the, the forecast didn't work. Um, the Yeah, I actually do think that people will become... Uh, uh, there'll be fewer nomads out there, for sure. Uh, uh, people may decide to uh, travel less. In fact, because of what we're doing with uh, technology now, um, every day people are meeting uh, by by using different technologies, and that's probably going to get companies and and governments to think differently about meetings and uh, events and things like that. I, I, I think. I think people will need to see each other. I mean, people will need to meet once in a while, but uh, because of, of budgets, I, I do think that there's going to be some value into getting people to meet face-to-face. -face. And, and so when you think about catering, when you think about all the food being consumed or not being consumed or consumed differently, it's going to have a huge impact on the entire system for sure. And um, But I do think that food delivery apps is a good model. I mean, meal kits as well. I mean, meal kits is a, was a growing market. It, uh, it did cap a little bit, but I do think that there's going to be potential as long as the, the price is right. My concern with meal kits is that uh, the, the startup companies were all subsidizing their own customer base. I mean, they, the price point for a meal was is ten to eleven dollars. Well, if you're in a recession, that's a problem. I mean, you you can't really grow the market all that well. And so we're, you 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 you're gonna have to think about uh, how you're gonna design your meals and how you're gonna reduce that cost as much as possible to make it affordable. And reducing costs are is going to be made more difficult. Um, you also wear the hat of senior director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and the price forecasts uh, produced by Dal and the University of Guelph suggest prices in 2020 will generally increase uh, yep. on some products more than others. Um, before we dive into what those products might be, can you just tell us a little bit about what drives uh, grocery pricing? Well, I mean, it's it's a general inflation is certainly one. Uh, we look at the currency, we look at energy costs, we look at labor costs. Uh, overall, uh, there's a lot of things that can influence food prices, uh, trends. Uh, um, there's demand for certain food products more so than others. Uh, there's branding, merchandising. Uh, there are promotions, so there's a there's a there's a bunch of things. There's a portfolio of different factors that we look at that could actually impact uh, food prices, input costs, uh, upstream uh, processing uh, with innovation. Um, so there's there's lots going on right now, and uh, so in 2020, uh, when we uh, produce our 10th annual report in December. 
we were forecasting uh, a four percent increase, uh, and uh, we're we're still confident that's going to happen despite COVID. The one the one factor that, that we didn't see come um, coming is uh, is is the fact that Saudi Arabia decided to flood the world with its oil. And uh, and that's why it, it's very. I mean, oil is just not expensive anymore. Uh, the the challenge, of course, is that the world is not designed for cheap oil right now, so it's happening too fast. And our currency really uh, has been affected as a result, which which is why it's going to cost more to import products into Canada. That's something that we didn't see coming at all. It happened basically at the same time as, as COVID. And that's why most people haven't heard about it. But it's a factor that really is influencing food prices right now. So produce is going to increase, um, bakery products. For, for everything else, it's, it's, uh, it's the same as what we said in December. Meat products, it's probably going to be close to 6% as a result of what's happening. Um, I'm a border city gal. I grew up in Windsor and uh, now I live on the Ottawa side of the Champlain Bridge. So I'm a bit border obsessed and uh, (laughs) (laughs) self-admission. I can see that. Yes. (laughs) And, um, you know, so watching borders close um, really uh, touches me. And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering, though, uh, all these border closures, you know, so much of the agricultural sector Essex County, right, is a huge agricultural center, uh, but so is, you know, the, the Gatineau area and Ottawa Valley. So, what you know, many agricultural sectors depend on uh, workers coming from elsewhere to assist with uh, production. Uh, what happens if our borders stay closed? It's been my concern since day one. Uh, I, 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 I'm very concerned about, um, about, uh, seasonal workers supporting farmers in Canada. We actually do hire 60,000, uh, uh, foreign workers to support, uh, agriculture. And these people are critical. Um, some people say, well, you could replace them with Canadians. Well, these people are highly qualified and working on farms. And I did that when I was a kid. It's it's dangerous. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you can get hurt really quickly. So it's you can't just turn on a dime and say we'll pay Canadians twenty dollars an hour to do that job, and uh, and make it happen. It's it's very tough to do. And so that's that's the one concern I have. And I know that the government is making an exception to to these workers, but you got to get them here. And uh, we're still waiting on a plan for that, and hopefully it will come soon. Uh, the other issue, of course, is our logistics. And, and, and in order for global supply chains to work, you need you need open borders. And uh, uh, my my concern right now is 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 what's happening in the U.S. Um, right now, they're being hit hard uh, with with very a high number of cases high number uh, of deaths, uh, the economy is, is tanking, uh, which could lead to uh, governments making um, wrong decisions. Fear uh, will influence policy, unfortunately. And, uh, and that's why the um, WTO actually advised the world about six days ago that, uh, well, we need to be careful with protectionism. Uh, 
world commerce is important. It, it allows uh, populations to to remain food secure. And I think it was a uh, it was a good reminder for everyone before before the 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 peak of the crisis happens, which I think is going to happen sometime next week, where you could see um, harsh decisions, uh, swift decisions made by different governments uh, to close borders. And so it, it remains a concern uh, for me, uh, for 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 our group, uh, and hopefully. Um, cooler heads will prevail um, and it won't compromise the integrity of, of global sub food supply chains, especially in North America. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask, uh, you mentioned food security. We know uh, there are many Canadians who live with food insecurity. Um, yes. how, how important is it to think about our local food banks these days? You may or may not know that I'm a big fan of food banks. I actually defend them. I actually do believe that uh, they have an economic, a socioeconomic role, a very important socioeconomic role to play. And I'm not suggesting that food banks uh, exist because of our failing uh, policies. Um, it's just, I, I, to me, food banks are, are, are miracles of the human spirit. It gets people together to support uh, people in need. And, and right now, I mean, COVID is a perfect example of a situation. Uh, no government programs can uh, can deliver quickly. I mean, you can't really have Ottawa and provinces deliver new programs to support people who've lost their jobs or have lost their situation overnight, basically. And, uh, and help them. I think Ottawa is doing a very good job uh, considering um, what we're going through, provinces as well, but you can't be as efficient uh, helping people as, as what food banks are doing. Uh, they've done it for many years now. They're very good at it and they're getting better at it. Um, and, uh, and that's why at some point, we're going to think we're going to have to think about ways to institutionalize food banks. Uh, in some countries, I've decided to do that, recognizing the existence of food banks and supporting them. And the food policy in Canada has done that for the first time in history. Last June uh, was a historical moment because all of a sudden there were provisions uh, for for food banks, which is good news. And and so yeah, I right now. Um, Food banks across the country are likely oversubscribed, uh, and they need all the help. As a family here, we've given to food banks, we've raised money for them, and uh, we volunteer at uh, at Feed Nova Scotia. Um, we volunteer our time, and I certainly would encourage every Canadian to think about food banks as much as possible. Sylvain Charlebois, thank you so much. You've really opened our minds uh, and uh, gave us uh, all kinds of great information uh, about food from, you know, from indulgence to, you know, public health measure, uh, the evolving role of grocery stores, uh, thinking about our, our local restaurants and importantly, thinking about our local food banks. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Jody.